Finishing the hat. How you have to finish the hat. How you watch the rest of the world from a window. While you finish the hat. Mapping out a sky. What you feel like planning a sky. What you feel when voices that come through the that's Jake Gyllenhaal as the character of George in the recent production of Sunday in the Park with George. And this is Artworks, the weekly podcast produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. Some 30-odd years ago, the National Endowment for the Arts provided crucial support for the development and production of the musical Sunday in the Park with George. The play was originally produced by Playwrights Horizons, with music and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim and book by James Lopine. The play is a deeply imaginative exploration of the creation of George Seurat's painting, A Sunday Afternoon on the Island of La Grande Jatte. Act One opens in 1884. The plot revolves around George, who's a fictionalized version of Seurat. He immerses himself in painting his masterpiece at the cost of pretty much everything, including his relationship with his model and mistress, Dot. Act two is in the present day, and we're introduced to his great-grandson, also named George. He is a conflicted and cynical contemporary artist. Well, after workshops, readings, and a runoff Broadway, the play opened on Broadway in 1984, and it won a raft of prizes, including the Pulitzer and the New York Drama Critics Circle Award. The play has been restaged over the years, most recently at Broadway's Hudson Theater, with Jake Gyllenhaal as George and Annalee Ashford as Dot, in part because the NEA had been so instrumental in the birthing process of Sunday in the Park with George. Jake Gyllenhaal, despite a very busy schedule, was happy to sit down to talk with me about the play, theater, and acting. We spoke in the office of his production company in downtown New York, so be aware, there's some street noise despite the closed windows. First of all, thank you. Yeah, thank you. With Sunday in the Park with George, I'm curious how you came to this role. Was it a dream role for you, or did someone suggest it? You know, I I only knew a few numbers from the show through my childhood. You know, I spent a lot of time in my car as a kid with my mom and dad and my sister listening to musical theater, all different kinds. And at times throughout my childhood, having the opportunity to go to the theater and see something on Broadway. And so... It was a very big part of my life. My dad taught me about music, and he played instruments and was very musical. And all of the members of his family all sang together, and he has six brothers and sisters, five brothers and sisters. And then my mom really had the history of musical theater, and she's the one who kind of brought all of the shows into my life. So Sunday in the Park with George wasn't a, one of the staples, I would say. You know, it's known more as a more obscure musical in certain senses. Just by the mere fact that it won a Pulitzer, I think somehow sort of sets it apart in an interesting way. And I believe was a bit ahead of its time. So I don't know if it caught my parents in the same way. And so, no, I didn't know that that much about it as a kid. And then I obviously knew the story and uh, I knew some of the songs, some of the more well-known songs. Janine Tesori, who um, wrote Fun Home and a number of other musicals and is just a brilliant songwriter and an extraordinary person came to me a few years ago and she had seen me do a show, a show called Constellations. And she 
had seen me, I guess, or had heard that I could sing, and she asked me if I would come to City Center, where she was the artistic director there, to do an encore production of Little Shop of Horrors with Ellen Green. Ellen Green was going to come back and reprise her role of Audrey. I don't even know if it's it's just her role. I don't even know if it's <laughs> reprisable. <laughs> you know, I hesitated. I was a little nervous. And I remember she sent me, like, a, a plant in a pot with a cut-up Barbie doll with fake blood all over it and said... Just do it. And so I thought, well, if the whole experience is going to have that kind of humor, then I'm in. And so I just jumped in. And we did that. And it was a really wonderful success. And then Janine, after that, said, what are we going to do next? I said, I don't know. I just trust you. And she said, you need to play George. So really, it really was Janine who brought this musical and this, this whole sort of what I consider a master work into my life. Weren't you scared? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not that interested in most things that don't offer a sense of sort of challenge and fear. You know, I think that's one of the biggest parts of this whole experience and almost any artistic experience. I think that's a huge part of it. So there are times where I'm not nervous about what I'm doing, but most of the time I am. And most of the time I'm facing something in myself that I don't want to see or that I'm scared of. And that always drives me in one way or another. Not like I'm a thrill seeker in that way, but I do believe that that's a huge part of the process. So yeah, I was. I mean, when you hear that first piece, when you first hear Color and Light, that song, you go, how the hell am I gonna do this? That just like red, 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 orange, that whole part of painting. More red, and a little more red. But, you know, I, I consider that discipline of learning material the best part of the process. You know, that's the time alone, that's the time behind the curtain that you get to play and make what you would call mistakes. So I just dove in and I knew I had Janine and Janine and I worked very, very intensely on the music. And I was making a movie in London and Janine helped me find a number of accompanists who could play the piece, which is just a doozy for your hands as a pianist. You know, I mean, it's just like, I've seen many, many pianists, incredible ones fall, you know, in the face of, of this score. And I had a, sort of the, the pure accompaniment so that I could play it in the car and sing along to it. And I would work on it, you know, I'd work on it in the car and I, on the way to work and on the way back. And, and I just slowly, slowly chipped away at it. And so, when you have that time and you have that focus, it's not as scary. And something about music, something about playing with an orchestra is so different, obviously, from being on the stage in a play. You're never alone. You know, I think that's part of what I realized through this whole process. Even when you're alone on stage, I, even when I am, even now, there are 16 people with me right behind me, along with our ultimate leader there who is Chris Fennick, who is our conductor, who's incredible. And I consider him the second half of George. He's painting with the music, and all the musicians and all those instruments are the paint, which is why we have them up on the stage, which is why it was, for all of us, so important that the musicians stay on the stage with us in this production, because essentially they are the painting. There is that interiority that happens as an actor as you prepare, but 
theater, and most particularly musical theater, I think, is so collaborative at the same time. And then yeah. there's that movement into, okay, I'm alone in the car, yeah. and now I'm on the stage with, what, 40 other people. Yes, yeah. That's the wonderful part of it, you know? I mean, you come having done your work, and even having done my work, you know, I had a number of people who helped me learn the score. I keep going back to Janine, but she showed me how Mr. Sondheim's mind worked and explained to me the history of the entire piece and obviously how the NEA and everybody, you know, how it was created and the madness, extraordinary madness that ensued in the process of creating this piece of genius. But then, yeah, it's interesting to see the organism of the piece and then the people who come on to do it. We did a stage reading at City Center of the show and half the cast came with us to the current production that we're doing now on Broadway. And to watch the piece move and change and grow as people move together and changed. And this entire ensemble is a very, very special one. There's a moment at the end of the show where the character of George I play has walked around the entire cast. And every single night, I'm just beyond grateful and amazed at the group of talent that we have. The way Sondheim writes, too, you know, is that Every single character and every single instrument is given their own time and given a mind and an intention. And it's been interesting when, you know, members of the orchestra sub out because the show changes in a way that it doesn't in many other shows. You know, you sub out different players, you know, you have a couple of people and you can kind of blend in. This show, no one's allowed to really blend except at the end of the act in both acts, you know, those numbers at the end. But, but you have to be an individual very specifically inside this hole and if one piece doesn't work it, the whole thing doesn't work so this whole cast and this whole ensemble of musicians and actors and performers and singers is the reason why I think this show is so strong it's hard to think of a show that has its first and second acts end so brilliantly oh, I, mean, I know oh. And in both, I'm always in tears at the end of Act 1, and I can't even quite figure out why, but I'm happy mm. to be there. Act 2 makes more sense. I'm yeah. in tears again, too, but I get <laughs> yes. that. Yes. yes. Act 1, I think, is really about loss and is about what we sacrifice to create. What's gained, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think the beauty that there is something gained, that there is hope, even in the loss, even in that sort of challenge of um, the misunderstanding, the things that make an artist an artist, what, what we can see and what we can't see. I think particularly in Seurat's case, like what he can't see, what he loses, but what his grandson, great-grandson then gains and can see. You know, sometimes I think at the end of Act Two, it is the children portion of you know, the art. And, and I think that what I believe the George of the second act gets is a family. I think, I think somewhere he gets a family. And, you know, his obsession with the creation of this piece, which in some ways will never really match the, his ancestry and, and Syrah. And in many ways in the show can never, you know, which is what's also brilliant about it children in art. I mean, oh, it, it really yeah. is expressed very explicitly in that song that's so beautiful and I think absolutely right. Yes. I think children in art is really the song of the show in a lot of ways. You know, what we leave behind is so much about what the show is about. 
Isn't she beautiful? There she is, there she is, there she is, there she is. Mama was everywhere. He must have loved her so much. Is she really in all those places, Marie? This is our family. This is the lot. After I go, this is all that you've got, honey. No, that's not... Wasn't she beautiful, though? Maybe it's also because for me now, it's really the only song that I listen to as a character. I sing nothing at all in that song. I just get to sit there and with her and listen to her sing it to me. So, you know, I could go on and on as many other people and many other performers have about performing Mr. Sondheim's music. You know, there is no space without intention. There's no lyric without intention that's not connected musically with intention. And I think you feel that in that song very specifically. There's a sort of repetition of melody that could very easily, with the wrong performer, become extraordinarily boring. But in terms of a performer like Annalee Ashford, who is incredible, every night, and I can attest, um, it's different, and the intention is different, and changes and has moved and has grown as its own organism. And I think she has done such a beautiful job with interpreting this show, but... You know, I just love listening to her sing, and I love being up there on stage with her every night. It's one of the highlights of my career so far. Did you get any notes from Stephen Sondheim? Mm-hmm, yeah. I mean, the thing about Stephen is um, he'll give you v- very simple notes. He gives you the key, you know, you find the door, you search through, you know, eight or ten of the doors, and one of them unlocks into, like, a whole other world. I mean, they're very, 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 very specific notes, and, and few, which is really helpful as a performer. The play is also so much about art and creating art. I mean, we talked about in Act 1 what, what's sacrificed, what's gained. Mm-hmm. Act 2, set in a contemporary period, really looks at the holy trinity of art in the 20th, 21st century mm-hmm. of, okay, there's creating the art, there's financing the art, and then there's promoting the art. Yes. All three being true, and I think three different skill sets. Yeah. And it's asking, I think, a lot of an artist to be adept at all three. Right, yeah. You know, there was a time when the performers of a certain era had to dance and sing and act at the same time. You know, there was a time, the time that I see and respect, where craft was part of the whole thing you know you needed uh, a certain package you know I think we've reached a time where you know there's a sort of genetic mutant aspect to the whole process of any professional career (laughs) you know there are (laughs) there are there are certain things that you need you know and there are exceptions to that rule always and I think those exceptions are really extraordinary humans in a way but a lot of it is a is a roll of the dice and and a real luck it's luck. Oh, of course, yes. I think popularity and being popular is, is always there. I think there is a myth, just as the myth of destroying your body and doing drugs or drinking too much or being that sort of tortured artist is really an artist, is sort of the purity of art. You know, it's very interesting to me always as extraordinary as so many of the artists that we've lost at young ages, many of them to abuse and we put them on a pedestal. And I think the people who live for a very long time and work forever don't get that same kind of appreciation. And it's less romantic. Way. Yes. I mean, I speak personally that I 
absolutely relate to so much of the second act in that you know you do you have to do your art you do it in the confines of your privacy like we talk about and then even in a situation like we're talking now you have to be able to have the the wherewithal and some sort of insight to be able to do an interview and get out there and do a hundred of them and try and listen and connect <laughs> you know um and that's a very big part of it you know one of my favorite things every night besides the show itself is going out the stage door and with the exception of two or three very strange encounters with some people who are have been odd thousands and thousands of people who are just so lovely to connect with at the end of the show and see how much the show means to them and take pictures with everybody and talk to them a little bit you know as I sign their playbill or whatever it might be and that connection for all of us you know we all participate in it and it's great joy for everybody for me and I hope for them and so that's one of the nicest parts of it and I think that that's a big part of the show as well I believe in my privacy I try and keep it as best I can my personal life is very important to me it's not that interesting at all and but ultimately I think being out there with people who see the show and talking with them for a little bit afterwards is very important it's a part of selling the show as well so so more people can see it you know it's very important all of it well that leads so nicely to my next question which yeah. is the difference between acting in theater and yeah. acting on film yeah i see the challenges of both but also the real joy in both oh i mean both mediums are extraordinary. I have to say my preference as a performer, as an actor, is on stage. But really it's about the ability to help tell the story. I mean, I love making films. I love the sort of collection of ideas. Sort of like you like kind of open the morning, grabbing ideas and inspiration and kind of throwing them into this sort of proverbial bucket. You know, you're just like, oh, that, oh, what about that? This thing, that thing. Not only as an actor, but also in producing movies and making movies over so many years. It's so wonderful to be like, how do we help facilitate a director, for instance, to collect all those ideas, as many as possible before the day ends, you know, or before the sun comes up in certain cases, you know? And I think like that is really wonderful about making movies. There's a sort of intimacy, a specificity, and a minutia to movies that I, I deeply, deeply, deeply love. And that gives me the opportunity to be on stage if I'm fully, if I'm really honest, you know? Um, I think I got really lucky at a very young age and I've tried as best I can to transition that into work on the stage. With film, I, I assume as with any craft, you learn how to do it, but it would strike me as being quite challenging to shoot out of sequence. I mean, yes and no. I mean, it also really applies to when you're on stage. You know, what I, it's interesting to me about my mentality on stage, which is so often, you know, there's the rigor of telling the story nightly, right? And so often what I see anybody who spends most of their time on stage, particularly now in musical theater, what I see is, is like, if something shifts on a night, it's, it's sometimes a little scarier if the intention changes for the whole production. And the thing with movies is, I guess what happens is, is because you're shooting out of sequence a lot of the time, you're freer. You're freer to make more choices. If you have five or eight or 10 or 20 tries at something, you can change intention throughout it, as long as you're clear about who the character is. And it's not as precious, you know? It's not as precious. You need to know, obviously, where the character has been and where they're going, and you keep that in your mind. It's not so tight. For me, it's not. 
I mean, I remember shooting this movie we did recently, uh, this movie called Stronger, about this wonderful man, Jeff Bowman, who lost his legs in the Boston bombings. We shot one of the most emotional scenes on the first night. And it was scary moving up to it. But it basically just threw us into the deep end. I had spent months and months of preparation. My company produced the movie. We've been in Boston for months. But somehow, not really knowing the character, because you don't really find him until you're there. All of a sudden, everything starts, and oop, that's it. You have to let go of those 50 choices and keep the six, you know? <laughs> and that happens, so you're just shocked into it. And I remember being like, this is what the universe is delivering to us. And that happens on stage nightly. Nightly that happens, moment to moment. Even when my brain is messing with me, even when my heart is messing with me, even when my heart is giving to me, even when my brain is like turned down and I'm now making choices in a particular flow, like it's all happening in the same way. Oh, the universe gave me that. Oh, that sound happened. Oh, that cell phone rang. So many actors, you know, there's so many stories about actors getting so mad. And like there was a time where I would get mad about things like that. But ultimately now I'm like, oh, that's the universe where we're all in this together. What is that? You know, that's part of this story tonight. And I think you need to move with it. And the movies definitely have given me that perspective on stage. And moving into production, what was your decision to do that? Was it wanting to be just more involved in the decision or thumbprint on the whole? What I found in my career is over time, there have been a number of movies I've made where I just become fascinated in the work of the actor across from me, more so even than the work that I'm doing. And I am proud to say that I've been working with actors like Heath Ledger and then Michael Pena and then Ruth Wilson. And I would be safe to say that all three of them in the movies that I've been in with them have given, I would say, better performances than I did and extraordinary performances. So in that way, I've always found myself like fascinated with the person across from me more so than what I'm doing. And being a part of the production excites me. Being a part of helping artists communicate what they want to say sometimes excites me more than even doing it myself. And I think that's, that's what I want to move toward. And I come from a, from a family of artists, and because I've watched my family in this business succeed, fail, struggle in many different ways, and not just my parents, my aunts and uncles, you know, they're different performers in different ways. Because of that, I think, I know that this thing as a performer can really get into your head as, you know, you thinking you're so special and it will last for a long time. And in, in truth, you gotta get into other things, you know? And my grandfather, who died a few years ago, my grandfather is in my mind a lot, saying, like, when are you going to get a real job? And somehow I think the sort of functional, very technical, structural quality of producing things, the ins and outs, the daily choices, the exponentially more failure than success in the job is what I love. I love that. You know, there's that thing that George says. He says, um, art isn't easy even when you're smart. Um, you think it's all together and something falls apart. And that is like the daily grind of producing anything. How do you choose what projects to be involved with? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, how do I choose? I believe the target draws forth the arrow. I really, really do. I think at a certain point, things come to you. It's one of the things you realize as an actor auditioning so often. 
you know, you go into auditions over and over and over again, and the unknown of why something doesn't happen, which is oftentimes so much more than getting anything, is the thing that is like so confusing. And then it's even more confusing in a weird way when you do get cast. Because you're like, why this thing? And not, for instance, the 50 other things that were almost just like it. You know, like, I don't understand. And so I think for me, it hasn't changed much. What has changed for me in, in, in the past five or six years is really moving towards people who believe in me. Earlier in my career, because I was younger, I had a lot of success, which is sort of inexplicable in a lot of ways. I wanted to move with the cool kids. You know, I wanted to move with the kids who were like the ones who didn't necessarily want to hang out with me. And I remember when we were in high school, there was a table with all the cool kids. And then there were like literally like onion peels of chairs around (laughs) the outside of that table. And it was just like such a weird social Darwinism experiment. You know, it was like so dark. And I, I think I functioned in my career like that for a long time. And then I realized, and maybe it was out of survival initially, move towards the people that believe in you. And that's sort of how I choose my projects. For instance, like Janine Tesori, who came to me with this, I would never have thought I would ever have met Stephen Sondheim. And if I had been like, all I want to do is meet Stephen Sondheim, I don't, I don't know if that would ever have happened. But meeting Janine, who is like, who is a soulmate and her own genius in her own way, she's the one who believed in me. And I moved there and now I just do whatever Janine tells me. <laughs> I mean, that's just like, and because of that, I met Stephen Sondheim and I'm doing this show on Broadway, which I, every night, don't get me wrong, I remind myself before I take a step onto that stage, what an honor it is. And I, I still can't believe it. Probably the first thing anybody reads about Sunday in the Park with George in this production is, oh my God, Jake Gyllenhaal can sing. <laughs> Which indeed, Thanks for everybody's faith. Yeah, no, 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 but, no, I know, I'm kidding. But it's, it's, one feels like you were hiding this light under a bushel, or you never really now did it. Now everybody feels the way my mom has for so many years. <laughs> um, well, I've sung my whole life. But to see, it's the only way to see. And when the woman that you wanted goes, you can say to yourself, well, I give what I give. But the woman who won't wait for you knows that however you live, there's a part of you always standing by, mapping out. I admire the people who are at younger ages are able to be who they actually are. You know, again, it goes along with that sort of like cool kid thing, you know. For a long time, who, who I am which was this like little kid who loved to sing along with Mandy Patinkin in the Secret Garden in my mom's car when we were kids, you know, and like knew every song and like mimicked all the characters and so many other musicals, you know. You know, that is who I am. You know, one of the things about this company for me is about finding stories about identity and about people's struggle with identity. And I think that can define itself in so many different ways. And I I reached a point and Janine was like, this is who you are. And I was like, you're right. And then we just did it. You know, people ask me if I'm nervous on stage when I'm doing the show. 
Like you asked me, are you nervous? You know, were you scared? The weird part about it, when you're in the right place, I don't feel I don't I don't feel nervous. When we did that first show at City Center, it tripped me out how not nervous I was. I was like, why does this feel so right? And then I stopped questioning throughout the performance and then I like, cause I think so often also as a performer, like you're just trying to survive, you're trying to make enough money, you're trying to live a life being a performer that I think so many things are against the grain. You know, there's so much stuff that is against the grain that you, you do, we all do it. Work is that, work is like, the sort of just against the grain and occasionally you move to a place, which is why this experience is such a, I'm so grateful for it because it feels like I'm sort of riding this wave that just has feels right. Do you carry roles with you? Yeah. Even like literally and specifically, I carry like the look of a character with me wherever I go because I don't really like to like spend a lot of time in the makeup chair. <laughs> People say to me like, oh, are you like a method actor? And I'm like, no, I just don't like sitting in the makeup chair that much. I'll just live it for the time I'm doing it. As an audience person, as somebody who, who reads. I like audience person. It does stay with you. Sunday in the Park with George literally changed my life, it, so I hold it very close. I can say the same now as well. <laughs> yes. It, there are books that, that will never leave the core of my being, and, yes. and I didn't write them, I read them, yes. so I can imagine how much more profound that would be for somebody who literally embodies it. Yes. Yes. There's so many strange things, for instance, with Sunday in the Park. I mean, it is why it is a, essential. The NEA is a, an essential piece of American culture. You know, there's no more important time for the NEA to be around and look at what it created. And without, you know, the National Endowment for the Arts, Sunday in the Park would not exist. And all of us who have been a part of this through the many generations that has been here and hopefully in future generations and the lives that it's changed, and I only speak for myself, and I sounds like you too, like we wouldn't have it. It's made me realize who I actually am and give to the world in the way that I should. The irony is that this is the one I've heard, this is one of the first Sondheim shows to recoup. We've done it in 10 weeks. In 10 weeks of a performance of this show, we, have, we are in profits. Now I know how much was invested in the early stages of this. And 30 years later now, and then some, from the initial investment, it is finding itself. The long game is what it's all about. And I think that's really like where I see organizations like the National Endowment for the Arts as the, the cornerstones of, of America and really around the world in different ways, you know? Yes. So yes, it's, they stay with us. They shape us. I think, about, I think about my 10-year-old niece who came the other day to see the show with my sister and thinking about being a kid watching the show, watching many shows when I was a kid and musical theater and theater giving me all the things that it has given me. An island in times in my life that have been so difficult and a means to express myself and something bigger than movies gave or can communicate in a way, that connection. And all of those things stay with me. They shape who I am. Being a little boy in a car, listening to Mandy Patinkin on a CD, you know, or first on tape and then on CD, and then having him come backstage, us holding each other, 
me reprising the role that he created and originated is like at this point the most special moment of my career and better than any moment thus far that and when my when my niece saw the show or the two moments I was most grateful well with your niece it's blood but with uh, Mandy Potemkin it's it's an artistic inheritance it's another it's another kind of passing along another kind of family yes it is and to ever have thought I would be in that family with him or with uh, or Stephen Sondheim or doing this show I, it doesn't really compute it really does not compute admittedly I'm not a very like effusive like like but I am in awe and who knew that's a good place to leave it so thank you I appreciate it that's actor Jake Gyllenhaal the CDs of the 2017 Broadway cast recording of Sunday in the Park with George with Jake Gyllenhaal and Annalie Ashford will be released on December 8th you've been listening to artworks produced at the National Endowment for the Arts and the artworks podcast is now available on iTunes so please subscribe and if you like us leave us a rating It really does help people to find us. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.